As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high state podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We still exist. I promise you, we still exist. Uh, it's been, been a while since we since we talked to the good people, Ari, Bill Landis, and Ari Wasserman. You know, sometimes you take a, take a vacation, as, as people uh, are entitled to do, and then you come back from that vacation and your basement's full of sewage, you know? So, <laughs> so you got to take some time off from reporting, recording a podcast. How's the basement going right now? Are you good? Yeah, I know. As we're talking right now on Wednesday morning, uh, there is uh, still a giant hole in my basement. They re- they replaced the pipe, but uh, they haven't covered it up completely yet. I think that's going to happen later today, and then and then this episode will be behind me. But my backyard looks like two bombs hit it, so that's that's nice too. Man, uh, I'm actually in the process of looking to buy a home with my girlfriend, and we we heard about that, and I was just like, are we sure we don't want to just stay in the new one? I have two I, two pieces of advice for you. One uh, one would be just don't buy a house that was built um, before like nineteen ninety eight, and then the other one would be uh, just get an outhouse. I think that'll that'll handle your issues too. Okay, so uh, new construction in Dallas. Uh, do you have one point two million dollars I can borrow? I, I don't now because I just paid for this monstrosity in my backyard, in my basement. But before that, I did. Yeah, before that, I could have gone in with you. Yeah. So. Uh, that's good advice, Landis. And the thing that that is uh, terrible about me, and, and I can thank my good old father for this, is that I'm incapable of fixing or attempting to fix anything. Um, I don't even know how to screw in light bulbs. So, like, when it comes to repairs around the house and 
you know, we're looking at homes and my girlfriend goes, oh, we'll have to update this or, you know, we can paint this or it all sounds like a complete nightmare to me. It's like I want to walk in and then I want it to look the way I want it to look and I don't want to have to worry about going to Home Depot ever. Yeah. Like Home Depot is the worst place on earth outside of like a healthy restaurant. So like I, I think that uh, I've got a lot to learn in a very short amount of time, but that's growing up, man. Sometimes you can find a Home Depot that has a nice like bratwurst cart in a parking lot, and then I mean, you know, it's all right then. I don't mind. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm in when that happens. But the one that I typically go to, the cart is there, but it's not open. It's it's the most enticing and disappointing thing. My um, motto has always been, Bill, to pay somebody else to do the task that you don't want to do. And it's like funny for people who want to know about the genesis of our relationship, but like when the first like month or two months that you moved to Ohio. Uh, or Columbus from Cleveland to start covering Ohio State with me. Like I bought an office chair and I made you come over and help me put it together because I did. couldn't even do that. You did. Like I, I and now that chair is in my house. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you gave it to me when you moved. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's, it's good to enjoy the fruits of your own labor, I guess. But that's right. Yeah. Like the idea of buying a house that you can't afford means that you can't pay people to put things together anymore, which means that I'm going to be in a world of hurt, I think, in the near future. So you know, wish us luck, and I hope. To avoid a septic tank issue, but uh, I guess we got more shit to get into here, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we're getting out of some, some shit and getting into some other shit, yeah. Uh, we, like I said, have not been with uh, you guys in a while, so we wanted to, to jump back into things with some of your questions. Uh, we have some really good ones, I think, about where, where the program is going, some off-season stuff. Um, I think we're going to kick it off with some Justin Fields draft talk because... Um, that seems to have people up in arms a little bit on, on social media at the moment. And then at the very end, uh, time permitting, I think we're going to talk some hoops too because Ohio State basketball is uh, number four in the country and playing for number one seed in the NCAA tournament, which is not where anybody thought they would be. So we're going to talk a little bit a little bit about that at the very end of this episode if you're into Ohio State hoops. Um, new method, I think, to get questions into us. Um, we set up a Gmail account, 426AB at gmail.com. So 4T... 4TO6AB at gmail.com. Send them in there. Don't wait for us to, to put out a call for questions. Just email us there. If you want to connect with us, you can hit us there. Um, you can send us questions on Twitter, too. We're trying to open this up um, to, to more people when we do these kind of mailbag shows, and we want to give um, everyone an opportunity to get in get in with questions. So we're pay- taking a lot of questions from there, a few from Twitter. Ari, are you ready to jump in? So ready. He's so ready. All right, let's go. Simple one off the top. It's, it's, there was no name attached to this email. The email was blily1234, so I apologize for giving your email address out, but you didn't give me a name. What's your honest opinion on Justin Fields as a draft prospect? Well, I reached for him in our Dynasty uh, football league that we're in. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is flawed thinking, and, and you're really good at this, so you tell me. But I've always just been about physical capability and build than... Like, and that's what I feel like is important when it comes to like potential and of all the quarterbacks that at least Ohio State's put into the NFL, I think you can make an argument that Justin Fields is the best at running and throwing both of them. You know, Ohio State's had a lot of dual threat guys, but, you know, even going back to Braxton Miller, who I think was the best runner, people questioned his arm. People questioned JT Barrett's arm, you know, and you know, maybe those guys weren't legit NFL draft prospects, but I don't think Ohio State's had a quarterback that can throw and run as equally good as equally well. And like, is it possible and not maybe even add Cardale Jones into this mix, but that he has the best arm of any quarterback that Ohio State's had, maybe since Troy Smith or even better than Troy Smith's 
arm. Yeah, I think like, I think Troy uh, Troy might have had the best. Um, Cardale's was really strong, but I think that's kind of all he had. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwayne was pretty accurate, but I think Justin's arm is probably a little stronger. So I think I think it's Justin and Troy are the are the two you talk about. So like if you we think that Justin Fields' arm is at least comparable to Dwayne Haskins' arm. Yes. Whether it be strength or accuracy, if it's comparable. I mean, Dwayne Haskins' arm made him a top 15 pick in the draft. Then add in the fact that he's in better condition physically. He's also faster. He's more probably durable, more elusive. And I think that he's a legitimate pick. And when you watch the way that he played in the Clemson game, like I was sitting in my living room after that game thinking, like, is this guy like every bit as good as Trevor Lawrence when it comes to draft prospects? And, like, now I know we're headed in and we're sitting here at the end of February and uh, it's coming up and Trevor Lawrence is the unequivocal number one overall pick and I have no gripes about that. But I think Justin Fields is a legit number two guy in this draft and I think is going to be a starter for a long time in the NFL. And a lot of that is about physical makeup, but a lot of that, too, is is uh, production and attitude and, you know, the way that he responded to the COVID stuff and he could have left and he could have taken the money and all the things that, you know, make up who Justin Fields is to come and throw more touchdown passes and incompletions in a playoff game against a very good Clemson team. I mean, it's like, I don't know enough, I guess, about Zach Wilson to think like, Hey, uh, this guy's better, but it blows my mind every single time that I see that Justin Fields is the third quarterback off the board in any mock draft online anywhere. He is he is polarizing. I think he's more polarizing than than I anticipated. I'm not a hundred percent sure why. And and this stuff has been kicked up a little bit. I think in the last week, um, ten days ish. And there was a, a thing from Pro Football Network, which I'm not totally sure what that is, but it seems like people read it a lot. Um, there's a story that there says there are concerns in the NFL community around, around Justin Fields' ability to consistently scan the field and go through progressions. And like whenever someone wants to knock Justin Fields, it's like oh he's a one read quarterback. My response to that is, like, what does that mean? Because I don't really think anyone who says that knows what it means. Um, and there was a really good article on uh, For the Win, I think it was, by Stephen uh, Ruiz, I believe, is who, who wrote it about. Like, that that idea of, like, Justin Fields being a one-read quarterback. And, like, first of all, to say that, you need to know what his reads are and his progressions are. And unless you're Justin Fields or Ryan Day, I don't think you can say with 100% certainty what, what those are. Um, mostly, I think it's, like, a lazy take and um, – he's getting dinged for it. I, I don't know. I just don't know why that makes him any different from any other college quarterback who often throws to his first read um, because his first read is usually pretty good and, and usually open. And Ohio State's first read is always open. <laughs> yeah. 99% of the time when like they're playing the regular season games. Two guys got 60% of Justin Fields targets. So it's like, yeah, he throws to those guys a lot because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are good. It's not to say that he can't grow because he certainly can, and and you can definitely find instances of, of him holding on to the ball too long. But I also think you need to understand the, this offense a little bit and know that there's a lot of downfield stuff. There's a lot of option routes for the receiver where they're like they mm-hmm. they come off the line of scrimmage, not a hundred percent sure what they're going to do because it's dictated by the coverage. And like Justin Fields has to wait for that to happen, and that's not a bad thing. It's like that they built a really solid, really explosive passing game off of that. So. I, I don't get it. Like I, I love Justin Fields as a pro prospect, um, and and I realize that like we're the guys who are on the guy anyway that covers Ohio State, and maybe us saying that doesn't doesn't carry much weight because of course we would say that because we watch and we him see so him every day too. I think it's important right. to mention. But, I mean, we saw him every day. 
we did see him every day. Like, and I thought, I thought 2019 to 2020, there was there was like obvious improvement. Um, I thought the best games he played were, or maybe like the t- like three of the top five games, whatever he's played in his career, were were this past year, his his second year starting in Ohio State's offense. His Clemson game in the Sugar Bowl was was unbelievable. Um, I think he has the movement skills that you need right now in, in the modern NFL. Um, and I'm not just talking about his ability to run. I'm talking about movement in the pocket, ability to extend plays behind the line of scrimmage, throw on the move. I wrote a story about that a while back, about how he, he throws so well off a platform and off of different different arm angles. Like I think those are the things that make him special. And the idea that like he'd be, he'd be getting dinged right now because – Sometimes he holds on to the ball too long. It's like, like okay, you're just describing a college quarterback to me. Like I don't, I don't really understand that. Um, so I don't, I don't know if he's going to fall. I, if there are some mock drafts that have him like outside the top ten. That's crazy to me. If you like Zach Wilson as the second QB ahead of Justin Fields, I'm not like going to argue all day with you about that because at the end of the day, none of us really knows what the hell we're talking about. It's just you like a guy or you don't. Um, but the idea that Justin Fields would be like slipping to like QB four or QB five in this draft, and maybe that's a little drastic, is like absurd to me. Well, let me ask you two pivotal follow up questions. Um, one, two years ago when Justin Fields got to Ohio State, um, I reached out to a bunch of people at the that he got coached by at the opening, and I wrote a story about his potential based on the way he was as a high school prospect, and the guys who coached him said he was the most complete quarterback prospect they've ever seen at that age. Um, And then they compared him to Cam Newton. And I think I cut all the Cam Newton stuff out of the story because I thought it was hyperbole at the time. Um, But now that we're walking into the NFL draft uh, and he's a pro prospect now, is there any weight to like the size and strength? I mean, the guy runs what a four four and can throw the ball seventy five yards. I know that he's not nearly as big as Cam, and Cam was just a generational physical prospect. But like, is, do you see comparisons to production and maybe even style somewhat if he runs a little bit more and is you know somebody who who can get a fourth down and one in the league. I mean, is, is there is there any comparison now looking at this two years later to think that, hey, that's the type of prospect he is? And then I'll ask you the other question. Um, I don't I don't really like the Cam comparison, um, mostly because Cam is like a is a physical marvel. He's he's a, just a gigantic human playing playing quarterback. But isn't Justin Fields kind of to a certain extent? Uh, Justin Fields is like maybe 6'3". 230 pounds and cam was like six five right like 240 pounds yeah yeah he's bigger but i mean just from a physical athlete standpoint and that's you the know, reason I think, why I think like justin yeah. fields is a, is a big guy who who uses his size to his advantage for for sure i just think like cam is in like sort of rare air as a, as a physical yeah. specimen i don't and, know that the, would... the automatic play call at fourth and goal from the one is running justin fields off tackle the way it used to be for cam yeah um I, I kind of like like a Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson comparison more for Justin Fields. Maybe maybe more Dak than, than Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson is you know top five ish quarterback in the NFL, and I don't want to put that kind of weight on Justin Fields' shoulders at the moment. But yeah, something like some kind of blend of all that. He's you know you know he is he's a blend of Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, and Dak Prescott. That's all he is. And Brett Favre. And Brett Favre. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Unitas is in there. Yeah. No, I, I think yeah. I think you're right. I think I think there are there are pieces of 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 Cam's game that you can definitely translate to, to Justin. And frankly, I'm not sure if we saw a ton of that 
um, in college because they just they didn't run him all that much. But but I think he definitely has that upside as a runner if a team wanted to use him that way. He might be, um, I don't know the right way to say this, maybe a, like a tad more sophisticated as a passer than Cam was coming out of college, um, but not not exceedingly so. And and maybe he's he's a, a step below as a passer from a guy like from a guy like Russell Wilson. But like somewhere in between that style, I think is is where he is and. Um, I'd love to see him like in a system where they do a lot of play action stuff like Ohio State does, where you can get Justin Fields outside the pocket and throw him on the move and, and have him doing some special stuff. So what's your second question? Okay, so now I have two questions. Um, one, the, one of the two, and then we'll get to the third one, which is the least important one, but do you think if Urban Meyer coached him that we would be viewing him differently as the NFL prospect uh, if he were still the head coach? And, and do you think, A, that the Cam Newton thing might not sound so crazy if they ran him more? Uh, it probably sound less crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think I think yes on both of those things for sure. Okay, and the third question is, and I know nobody cares about our fantasy football teams, but <laughs> Landis has uh, the first pick in our draft because he mastered the art of tanking a little bit better than I did. And nobody, it's a developmental league where we can draft college and high school players and hold them for the future. And I drafted Justin Fields last year to hold him, but nobody. Nobody took Wilson, and Landis is the number one pick in the draft, and I think is presumably going to take Wilson. Would you trade me Zach Wilson straight up for Justin Fields if I wanted yes. to do that? Uh huh. Okay, yeah. that's it. Because yeah. no, like talk. that's because that's a dilemma, right? The show. Yeah, we can talk after the show about making a deal if you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want to do that, but that's the dilemma that people are having in real life. Like, there's an NFL GM out there that's going to make or break his legacy as the GM in, in, in the NFL based on whether he makes that decision the right way. Yeah. And, I mean, it's about fit, too. I'm, I'm very curious to see where, like, Justin Fields, you see him, like, go to Carolina. see him go to Atlanta. I don't know what, like, San Francisco San Francisco is going to do, but if somehow Kyle Shanahan can get his hands on Justin Fields, like, I think – what do they? What do the kids say? That stock's going to the moon. I think. I think that's where that stock's going. If Justin Fields and Kyle Shanahan link up. Yeah, yeah. Get your moon boots ready. That's what Get everybody always says. Is I lose sixteen percent right. on my portfolio in ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, as a follow-up to this, uh, Jamie sent in an email question, again, 4to6ab at gmail.com. Uh, if, and then a pause, you know what, screw it, when the Eagles draft Justin Fields, what place would you tell him to eat at? And obviously, Della Sanders and John Rose Pork at the top that come, or at the top of the list. Are there any others? I think you nailed it, Jamie. I think I think John's Rose Pork is, is a number one. Della Sanders, I could, I could take or leave, but John's Rose Pork is the best cheesesteak in the city. 
Um, and also, I will say, I'm not the right person to ask about this, but like Philadelphia is a good food city. Like there are like legitimate restaurants in Philadelphia. I'm just a Neanderthal who likes a roll with meat and cheese, so I'm going to tell you to go there. But you know, if you have a more sophisticated palate, um, there are places where you can go to get some good grub. That's not a hole in the wall cheesecake or cheesesteak place. People are people are trying to figure out like where to go, like Mastro's Steakhouse, like beautiful dinner, right. and you're just sending them to Northeast Philly, hole in the wall with no signage. Yeah, just go. To, I got a friend uh, named John. He's got a basement. You can go in there, and uh, I'll throw some meat on the roll for you. Yeah, I'm in South Florida right now for a personal uh, reason, and I've just been texting Landis all day. What are the Philly restaurants that have moved down to South Florida that I can go gain weight at? You know, and uh, Wawa. You know, I went to Wawa, and uh, boy, is that good. Uh, but the one thing I, I just kept meaning to ask you, and you've been to Philly like seven times, but I keep hearing about this Ishka Bibble. And even Eddie George, oh, yeah. when we had him on the show, brought him up. You next time you go to Philly, you got to go check that place out because I, 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 I went to I went to Ishka Bibbles last summer and it wasn't very good. Oh well, damn. But there are two, and they're like three or four blocks away from each other. And I went to the second store, which was the closest one to me at the time, and maybe the first one's better. I don't know, but it was. Like, it Is was it the fine. same owner though? I believe so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's disappointing. Fine. I was hoping to. You know, add to the list of things that I'd have to eat the one time that, like, I think my, uh, when I get married, my bachelor party should just be me and you alone in Philly eating everything. But, you know. I, Speaking of Philadelphia, you guys may even know that I'm from there because I talk about it incessantly. Uh, there is a uh, Philly, <laughs> Philly pretzel factory in Centerville, Ohio, which I learned uh, last night. So that's where I'll be tomorrow if you need me. Yeah. I'm on Thursday. my way. Come find me at the pretzel factory in Centerville. And if someone messages me and tells me that that place is closed, I'm going to lose it. All right, next question. From Quinn Monin. 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 Probably Monin. There's been a lot of conjecture about Ohio State's offensive line depth and who deserves to start. Do either of you see a scenario where Parrish Johnson Jr. isn't one of the starting five? No. Nope. <laughs> is that I think the question with Parrish is, where is he, is he going to play? Is he going to unseat a tackle? It's not, is he going to play? Um, like, the, the, the hype train has fully left the station on Parrish Johnson. And, and I think it's deserved. And I think he's going to start. And for all I know, he's going to be like an All-American guard next year, if that's where he ends up, which he, I think is where he, he's going to end up. He got some time late in the season and looked great, right? Looked pretty good. Yeah, he's more of a – he's like a big athletic guy like with like a – actually like a, a rather thin – not thin, but like um, svelte frame, I guess maybe would be the way to say it, for a guy who is 6'7 to 300 pounds. He's more of a mauler than I thought he'd be, or, or at least showed that when he got on the field a little bit. So I think he's going to be really good as an interior lineman. I think it does nothing to stunt his development. I think he's going to be a really good interior lineman. Then he's going to be a really good tackle. Then he's going to be like a top 15 NFL draft pick, and, and everything's going to go according to plan. But um, I don't see any scenario where he's not starting next year, short of like knock on wood injury. But, you know, he's he's ready. It's his time. Now, and there are dominoes that fall beyond that because there are other <laughs> – Really good interior linemen. Enoch Vimahi, Matthew Jones. Um, there are others. Ryan Jacoby. So I, I don't know what Parrish Johnson's ascent does to the rest of the line, but I fully expect him to be starting next year. Doug Hanum has a question about the pass catchers in. I think he meant 2021. He has 2022 here, but I think he meant 2021. Other than Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who will be the top pass receiver for Ohio State in 2021? Jackson Smith and the Jigba. Yeah, I think if I had to pick a receiver, that would be the guy that I'd pick. I, I, like, I don't know. 
Julian you Fleming. Any, you can pick anybody, right? And and not sound crazy. I mean, Julian Fleming came into the Big Ten championship game uh, when Alave wasn't playing and caught like nine passes in the first two drives. So I don't know. Like, right? He seemed not only to be one of the guys they used in a situation of need last year, but a guy who was productive immediately when that happened. So he was the number one receiver in the country in his recruiting class. So I mean, it's just. We get the receiver question in different variations all the time. You know, last year, now heading into next year, it's even more uh, interesting. Uh, but the fact that Chris Olave came back, I think, is a great uh, windfall for Ohio State's offensive production, but also continues to cloud up the question of which one of these seven great receivers is going to be really, really good first. And like Ohio State going into next year, I think unequivocally has the best one two receiver tandem in college football. And yep. like, what happens beyond that I almost feel like isn't that important until I guess maybe even the playoff because there's nobody in the Big Ten who can cover both of those guys. So uh, to me, I think Jackson Smith, the Jigba, is going to be a really, really, really good football player. But I think that's true for Julian Fleming. I'm also very interested to see how, how G. Scott comes into a second year and produces because it's like almost like he was the forgotten guy. And he's also very good and very well built. And I saw him dominate the opening in real life. Um you know, so they have a lot of options, but in terms of like what we've seen from an ability standpoint, I think it has to be either Fleming or Najigba. Najigba is just flashier, I think. I am going to ignore my own advice and uh, pick Jeremy Ruckert, and then and then get disappointed midway through the season when Jeremy Ruckert has like seven catches. I mean, but but all of them are touchdowns. circle catches, circus catches that he catches in the back of the end zone with his pinky finger. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, we, we do it every year, but it's like, they, Jeremy Ruckert. <laughs> I think if he could, if, if he wanted to be, I mean, he's used that way, I think he could be the best tight end in the country, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I shouldn't get my hopes up too much. What on does that, Jeremy Ruckert's return to Ohio State mean for Ohio State's philosophical shift in offensive philosophy, which was redundant? I don't know. What do you mean? Like, in terms of who they throw the ball to? It just sounds like a cool mailbag question. I, I thought that. Yeah, uh, I, I wrote a I wrote a mailbag last week. Um, Theathletic.com slash 4-6. Sign up, get a discount. You can go read that mailbag. And the lead question was about uh, Jeremy Ruckert and, like, the future of a tight end position and how that, like, the trickle-down effect of that. And, like, my point was basically that they're they're going to play less with two tight ends because, of course, they, will, they don't have Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert. But, like, Jeremy Ruckert is going to be on the field almost all the time. And I think he was fourth on the team in targets last year behind Olave and Wilson, who got almost all of them, and Jamison Williams. And and then I'm pretty sure it was record behind those three. Um, But I'm not totally sure that really means anything moving ahead to to next year. Because if you said, like, oh, Jeremy Rucker's going to have the fourth most targets in the offense, I think you might think that maybe he is set up for kind of a breakout year. But – doesn't necessarily mean it's going to carry over one year to the next because they could start playing much more with three and four receivers, and, and we don't know who the quarterback's going to be and like what they're comfortable doing. But um, the upside of Jeremy Ruckert is is to be the best tight end in the country, like I said, and certainly the, the most well-rounded because I think he's grown a lot as, as a blocker. But um, I don't know if we're gearing up here for anything different than what we've seen in terms of that position's usage historically at Ohio State. Yep. Uh, okay, this was a really good question from Drew in Chicago. I'm curious to see where you go with this. And there's a tie-in uh, with this as well. Because you did, uh, you and Andy Staples on the Andy Staples show ranked the best job or best jobs in the Big Ten, right? Yeah. 
Um, and this is sort of a question about where Ohio State is as a program. And I think I would I, – I, I didn't listen. I apologize. I didn't listen. But I'm assuming that you guys had Ohio State number one. We started the ranking at two because it would have been ridiculous to pick anybody else. <laughs> but go ahead and listen to that Andy Staple show, Ari and Andy, uh, ranking the best jobs in the Big Ten. Because once you get past one, I think it's interesting. And, and I saw that Andy was having a nice back and forth with some Michigan fans uh, about about what you guys did there. I, but this question – Not to spoil it, but I put Michigan four on my list. Ooh. <laughs> You have to go listen to the podcast to to get the whole reasoning for it. But I mean, if you Behind had to get Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and the the question was best jobs. So like, I ranked it from a perspective of if I were a coach, where would I want to land? And it's yeah. like Penn State, Michigan have the same upside, except Penn State season isn't a failure if they lose to Ohio State. Like I like I don't know how that's even an arguing. It's not that Michigan doesn't have. Go listen to it. <laughs> I just, yeah, listen, yeah. I just like have wound up from the the Twitter discourse about it afterward. Uh, this question from Drew in Chicago. At this point in time, is there an area of the program that Ohio State is not maximizing? Examples being recruiting, player development, coaching resources, etc. Feels like the juggernaut is really rolling right now, but I'm curious what you guys think. When I read this question, Bill, the only thing that rang in my ears was Bama. And Bama is a team that is rolling in all cylinders completely perfectly as we saw. And I don't know if there's an easy way or a way to quantify it, not knowing what's in the secret sauce for Nick Saban down there. But what is the difference between Ohio state and Alabama? And then when you find out what the difference is, that's what they're not maximizing. And I don't know if it's, if it's recruiting when it comes to, pure numbers i don't know if alabama's rosters are just a tad more more talented but they're seem they seem equitable uh, i don't think anybody's going to scream that mickey Murati isn't a good strength coach player development is clear because the nfl draft numbers rival what alabama's doing so like what how would you quantify it how does alabama become what ohio state is and maybe this is just a, a year, and I don't know if it's just the way that Alabama's team was made up makes me rethink about things, but Alabama has done it so flawlessly and so consistently. And when Ohio State brings in the same type of athlete, I think that we can all can agree happily that Ohio State is a full step behind Alabama. So, like, if you answer the question— I don't question, know if I agree with that, actually. I know they just like played a game in Alabama one handily. I mean, since the I beginning don't... of the Urban Meyer era, they have recruited very similarly. Maybe, maybe Alabama, maybe Alabama has a, a step ahead of them on, in the recruiting in just terms of pure talent. But the production and the results of what Alabama has accomplished doesn't even re- come close to resembling Ohio State's output from since 2012. And I don't know what the main, main difference is of winning five national championships and then winning one and coming up short a bunch. And, you know, maybe I'm just being overly harsh, but the reality is is that Alabama is the model of what college football programs should look like. And Ohio State and Clemson are the two teams that um, most resemble a team that can compete with that team. And Clemson's won it twice, and Ohio State has been good for longer than Clemson became Clemson. And Ohio State's won it once. So... There, I, I think that just from a output standpoint, it's not even a, it's a fact, you know. Um, so like, yeah. I don't know what. I guess I would. I guess I would push back against like Alabama is what a college football program should look like because I don't think I, what I, Ohio I, I State wants before. to look like. 
but you, I, I also think you don't mimic that. It's like it's like similar to the idea of like when Urban Meyer's assistants leave and go other places and then try to be Urban Meyer and it doesn't work because you're not Urban Meyer. It's like you can aspire to be Alabama. You're not going to be them. You're just not like because there's only one Nick Saban, and like you can't just go and try to be him and copy everything that he does. It's I think that's that's a one way street to to failure because you or trying to be something that you're not and something that I don't think anybody else in the history of sport of the sport is capable of being. So, um, here's the, here's where I, and I'm going to use a pizza analogy because this is our podcast. I understand pizza. So let's just say you take the best Philly restaurant, right? That you like the pizza restaurant mm-hmm. and you love the way that their pizza tastes. It's the one pizza that you would have if you had a death row meal. And then you give another place the same exact ingredients in oven and for whatever reason the other place that has the same ingredients in oven can't duplicate the pizza that the other place spits out that you love and the question would be why you know well i think in that i think in that analogy nick saban is the oven and there's only one oven you can give anybody the same ingredients but there's only one oven yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good point, but it's just like Ohio State fans are sitting at home pulling their hair out saying, what can it be? And I'm not saying they have to win. How many national championships was this for Saban? Was that seven at Alabama or six? It doesn't seven, matter. I it, I either one of them. He's got a handful. <laughs> Ohio State's fan base, while happy with the, the national championship that they have and happy with the program that they have, and this isn't me saying you shouldn't be happy with what Ohio State is. But like the question can't the answer to the question can't just be they're perfect because they're not, and I think no, that, I don't think they're perfect. You know, so I'm trying to to try to use Alabama as an example of like where you would say things aren't being used the hundred percent to their full potential because Ohio State has never reached their full potential. They've maximized the development and the evolution of the program the program has evolved dramatically since urban took over in 2012 but i don't think that anybody would would say and i don't even think you would say that ohio state has maximized the talent that they've had i think that and I, we've had the discussions about this and i've said this on on this show and other shows but i think you could make the argument and i would that ohio state's the most underachieving program in the country on on the field results when you equate it to the talent that they've had on their roster Maybe Georgia would outdo them at this point because they've had more talented teams and have not made the playoff. But the ingredients are there to win multiple national championships, and we're pushing on a decade now since Urban took over and they only got one, while the team that they're always directly compared to on this podcast and in every single national college football discussion is is outdoing them in every facet from a production standpoint. So, like, I guess the question is, if the answer to the question is Ohio State will never be and nobody can ever be what Alabama is, the question is what is the thing that's holding Ohio State back then from reaching the potential that they clearly have based on the talent they have on their roster? I mean, yeah, I think I think the reasons for that over time have been different. Um, I think in the examples that Drew laid out in his question um, – I really, I don't think it's recruiting. I truly I, I do think Ohio State is about about maxed out in terms of what it could be recruiting in recruiting. And what it is 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 excellent. It's really good. Um I'm not totally sure how it could get much better than, than it is right now. Um I think player development's good, both from a strength and conditioning standpoint and from a positional development standpoint. I think it's fairly good um across the board. Resources, Ohio State's not really hurting for money and, and I think allocates it smartly. Um, the coaching one is the interesting one, right? I think I think there have been 
teams in recent memory that that I think were talented enough to do more than they ended up doing, and part of the reason they didn't do that is because of some poor coaching hires. And I still I still think we're kind of in that position right now. Like we don't know what what exactly is going to happen with this defensive coaching staff. Like I I I do think it's possible that we were sitting here a year from now and, and thinking to ourselves like, man, they have a lot of talent on defense. Why wasn't it better? And why did it hold Ohio State back? And the answer might be, well, the, some of the coaching decisions that were made weren't right. Um, and I'm not saying it's going to be that way. I, I'd like to see the year play out before we before we do that. I know some other people are. are in a hurry to already label it that I'm, I'm not there yet, but I, I think that's probably where you start, right? At least that's where I start with, with this is some, some coaching shortcomings. Over the first the thing that jumped out to me was coaching. Particular. I mean, that's yeah. the thing, but like, I also don't want to say coaching because Ryan day's complete portfolio of accomplishments is all coaching related development. And well, coaching. I, and so it's like, not, I, I think that's, I think that's more, I think it's more of an urban thing than a Ryan day thing right now. I mean, Ryan day's lost two games. Right, right, no, and we're talking more about urban stuff. So, like maybe, yeah. maybe Ohio State's in the beginning stages of maximizing what they have to the potential of what they are as a program, and maybe that's two national championships in seven years, or, or three national championships in fifteen years. But like, I just always use Alabama as a metric because. If you're not talking about how you can get better, then what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like if it's just we're. We're talking about a program that's as good as it's get, it's going to be, and has maxed out everything. Then it's just like, why even do the show? You know what I mean? Like it's always yeah, yeah. everybody's no, always wondering what you can do better, and it's like the only thing that Ohio State can do better is be Alabama at this point. And if that's an unreachable goal, I think that's a reasonable thing because in a world where uh, this team is dominated, I think it'd be a really good story idea because I was talking to my editor Mitch, and he brought up how. You know, back in the old days, there used to be seven or eight quarterbacks, freshman quarterbacks on a, on a roster. And it's just like Ohio State's one of the teams that separated itself. But in a world where there's scholarship limits, I don't think there's ever been a bigger gap between the top three teams in the sport and everybody else. And it's like that's even during the times where you could have anybody you want on your sidelines every Saturday. Um, but, like, how do you take it from the 2022 class or 2021 class that Ohio State just put together to winning three national championships in a six-year period. Like, what's the thing that has to happen next? And I think maybe it's ideal assistant hires and, and good coaching decisions and being able to deal with turnover on your staff better. Because Alabama has certainly done that to, you know, about as perfectly as possible. And it just seems like the things that, you know, seem little uh, or, you know, maybe don't seem so little at the time just don't get get going the right way. And it's just like you could go back every single season. Why did Ohio State not make the national championship in 2012? Well, they weren't allowed to. In 2013, they lost to Michigan State. Why? Because they had a, a, a player playing out of position in the secondary that cost them a game against Michigan State. 2014, they won the national championship. 2015, why didn't they make the championship? Because they had a bunch of people who came back who were already halfway in the NFL because they already won one and they couldn't figure out how to do the quarterback. You know, And I think as mm-hmm. you go down the list, you might actually think like, Oh yeah, like they were two or three decisions away from winning a national championship in a lot of these seasons, and then those decisions were just the wrong decisions. Well, I, I do think one thing, if, if uh, there is a gap, like I certainly acknowledge there is a gap. I don't know if it's a gigantic gap, but I think there's there's there is space that Ohio State needs to shrink between itself and Alabama. And it but there is a d- gigantic gap between seven championships and one. Like I mean, there. No, I, I, no, I understand. Yeah, of course there is. I'm talking about where the programs are right now in terms of 
like abilities to win national championships moving forward. Yes, there's a difference between seven and one. And again, Nick Saban is a wizard, and that's my answer. Sorry if it's not sophisticated enough for you, but I really don't have anything else other than like this guy is an alien, and no one ever like him has ever existed in the sport before. That's the answer. But where the two programs are right now, I do I do think Ohio State is doing some things from a recruiting standpoint to possibly close that gap a little bit. Like because if you think about Ur- Urban's classes, um, like thirteen was great. And 14 was actually really good, too. It doesn't get talked about enough. Then he had a dip in 15, and he had a dip in 16. 17 and 18 were great. A little bit of a dip in 19. Like, what Ryan Day just did with his 21 class and what he looks like he's doing with 22. Like, if that becomes more regular, like, if there aren't those dips, if it's just like, hey, every year we're talking about, well, this class is going to break the record for average player rating, and then, oh, the next one's going to break the record for average player rating. Like, if that becomes more consistent, then I think that is a that is a – place where Ohio State can take a, take a little bit of a step forward and in doing so close the, the gap we're talking about a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the 2022 class seems like a different plane than all the other ones. So far, yeah. I mean, or sorry, the 2021 class and the 2022 but, but seems like it's on the way right. to that. Um, and if it's just we're going to sign 13 players in the top 115 every year, then that is a huge step forward. And maybe, like, there's two different answers to this question too, Bill, and I'm happy you're spending a lot of time on it because this is the one that stood out to me when I, when I read them. But at this point in time, is there an area of the program Ohio State isn't maximizing is a question about the current staff and team. Mm-hmm. So, like, we've spent a lot of time on, on the past down to 2012, and I don't know that's what the question was. But I think currently, right now, the unequivocal answer to uh, what Ohio State's not maximizing is probably coaching because of the defensive game plan that put Ohio State in a bad place in a national championship game. And maybe the coaching wouldn't have mattered and Alabama would have just won anyway. But like when you lose two games in two years, one was a heartbreaker to Clemson where there's referee calls that make people sit up at night to this day. And the other one was you lost to maybe the best college football team of all time. There's really not much to nitpick. Um, but there's when you look, yeah, when you look at Ohio State, what did they not maximize as a whole uh, since 2012? I think you could say recruiting. Based on what you just said, I think that's a fair yeah. answer. And I think if Ohio fair. State eliminates that and signs classes like the one they signed in 2021 in four years in a row, then I think they will resemble what we we view as the big bad Alabama wolf in our head right now in five years. I think that's a really yeah. good point. Because that, I mean, that's, I mean, Saban's, Saban's rings are the thing you notice first and foremost, and, and certainly these things are correlated, but he also, what he won the recruiting title. Eight like, years in a row. Eight years in a row or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So, like, that's, it's like, that's the, it's the answer. And it's like, the thing that's so frustrating, and I guess whether it's symbolic or not, uh, Alabama won it again this year. And this is the year that Ohio State signed one of the best classes in the history of modern day recruiting. And it just like, and they still didn't beat Alabama. So it's just like, you know, that's part of it. But I think that also embracing and understanding that if Ohio state's ever going to achieve what they need to achieve from a maximizing standpoint that they're going to have to go through Alabama, I think is a fun way to view the sport too. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things shake up in 2022. Uh, but Ohio state's 2021 class is better on paper than the 2017 class and like when you start saying it in those terms like when the 2017 class got signed it was the highest average player rating in the history of of modern day recruiting and now Ohio State and Alabama both beat that record this year so you know the good thing for Ohio State is that they're isolated in their own part of their country in their own conference and they don't have to deal with Bama until they get to play them and if they get to play them that means they're in the playoff Mm -hmm. um 
that's an encouraging thing. And then once you get on the field, you got four quarters to show that you belong. And they've beat them before. They can beat them again. Uh, but I think that I guess the answer to the question is it has been recruiting. Right now it might be coaching, but coaching is too soon to say, and recruiting is maximizing. So the good news is is that this is a really good position for Ohio State to be in. And then I can agree with what you were saying before where it seems like future positioning for competing for national championships, Ohio State and Alabama seem very similarly built right now in this moment. Yep. In summation, go Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Question from Brett Frederick. Do you guys believe in healthy food replacements? I thought this question was hilarious. Do you guys believe in healthy food replacements? Uh, for example, sweet potato burger bunch, chickpea pasta, cassava flour, potato chips, or impossible burgers? Uh, I do. Uh, yeah, I've lost. So do a, I. I've lost a ton of weight uh, since I left Ohio, and I'm living with a, a woman that knows how to cook well. And everything in our house that we eat is a replacement of something that should be better. But she is such a good cook that she makes a good job. We had protein pasta. That was made out of like chickpea or whatever. Like we have a sprouts. There's no sprouts in Ohio, but there's a no. sprouts in in uh, Texas and on the West Coast. It's a, it's a healthy natural food store, and it's like everything that like we have keto pancakes made it made out of like keto uh, pancake mix from there. The other night I made chicken fingers, but in st- in the air fryer. But instead of using breading, we used almond flour, and I cut those Quest protein chips and, and smashed them and made them part of the batter. And we made crunchy chicken fingers that tasted like chicken fingers, but had no carbs. You know, like it was... This is almost like an important thing. And have you ever had those cassava flour uh, tortilla chips? I have Th- not. That is like the thing that he listed that I have not had. They're at Trader Joe's, dude. Like, and they're in like this tan bag. They are legit. They're crunchy. They're flavorful. And if you put cheese on them a little bit and you can make not like sometimes we have dinner, we have um, nachos on, on cassava flour chips. And then she puts pulled chicken on top and like puts the onion and the olive and the in the cheese. Um, uh, I'm, I'm definitely for it because it makes eating healthy more manageable. Because if you're just eating grilled chicken and broccoli over and over again, you're going to fail on your diet. But if you feel like. There are meals that I have that are certainly very healthy with these replacements that make me feel satisfied when I'm done, which has always been the biggest problem when I'm when I'm dieting. I never feel satisfied, but this stuff does. But I will say that things can go wrong with these. Um, Quick story. We made a cauliflower crust pizza and we made it from scratch. So we made the own our own crust and our own um, ingredients and Britt, without my knowledge, went to the store and bought vegan cheese. And she doesn't mm. use vegan cheese by itself. She puts it in with regular cheese just to, like, make sure that, like, the entire pizza isn't just covered with a bunch of cheese and, like, ruining the diet that we're on. But the next day, I went in to the fridge, because we're all animals who have stuffed our claws into a bag of shredded cheese and then put it in their mouth. I thought it was cheese, and I did that, and I put it into my mouth, and I started chewing it, and I almost vomited in my kitchen because it tasted like rotten, disgusting cheese. And I turned out, I looked at the bag, 
vegan cheese and we got into an argument like there's no vegan cheese in this house it's like you know if gluten's out the window like we got to have something sacred here you know but right. i i'm maybe you guys are shocked to hear this but i am 100 percent for it and like there's the other thing too um and i'll send it to you uh but there's monk fruit i didn't know what monk fruit was when i first moved to uh texas uh, my girlfriend would give me a grocery list and she would list all these flavors that sound like something that you would see in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory the things that they don't exist <laughs> monk fruit and beet chips and all it's like I don't even know what it, but monk fruit is a sugar replacement and there is a hot chocolate made out of it like a hot chocolate mix made out of it that has 15 calories in it and that stuff is life changing because I love hot chocolate and it, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like, it's creamy. Interesting. You can put some of the low-fat whipped cream on the top. It is a very good Starbucks-like tasting drink with, like, 20 calories in it. Especially if you put some almond milk in there. So, yes. Long answer. I'm for it. And if she listens to this, I'm sure she'll have a tear in her eye. Because when I first moved to Texas, I was like, what are we doing? Can we just get a pizza at this place one time? Yeah. I don't... Uh... I don't eat that kind of stuff probably as often as you're eating it right now, but I'm also not opposed. I don't. I don't think I couldn't tell you the last time I had like actual pasta. I think we have chickpea pasta more often than we have um, regular pasta, which is fine. Like, I don't notice any difference, so I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um. Sometimes I'll look at stuff like ah, there's no way that's going to taste right, and like I won't eat it because of that. But I would say like 90% of the time where I've thought to myself like this isn't going to taste good because it's not what it's advertising itself to be, and then I eat it and it tastes fine. Yeah. So, uh. The other thing, too, and I don't know if this is, I'm not trying to bag on the city of Columbus, but a lot of the Midwestern cities, they don't, they just don't have the resources from a store standpoint to find this stuff easily. And it's just like, it's not a particularly healthy city to live in, uh, you know, in, in terms of just being able Damn. to. No, I'm not saying, uh, I love Columbus. Don't forget who said that. I didn't say that shit. <laughs> Wait, is that like insulting? Like, you know that the culture is different on the West Coast and in, in, in different cities. Like, Dallas is just like Scottsdale. Like, every single store in Texas is a fast, casual, eaty, healthy eating restaurant and a yoga studio. It's like, it's just a different culture and it's a different place. Columbus, Ohio, when you're trying to diet or you want to get a pre-made meal or you want to go to a store like Sprouts, like, where they have Lucky's Market and Trader Joe's. Easier. You know, that's it. It's like, where where else do you go to get health? And, and I know that if you're really motivated. I mean, you can get it at Kroger if you don't. If you no, I know. But, like, I don't know that you can go get, like, these different ingredients that are on here. Like, cassava flour potato chips. Do they have that in Kroger? I don't like, know. do they have, like, potato burger buns or chickpea pasta in Kroger? Like, I don't know. I mean. I got a whole I got a whole pantry full of chickpea pasta. Yeah. Did you get it at Kroger? I don't know where. I don't, I don't buy the stuff. I don't know where it came from. Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's harder to find. It's yeah, like everything sure. everything in, in, in Dallas is a smoothie place and juice land and all these. It's just like in Columbus, you've got like Press Juicery, I think, and Lucky's Market and then Trader Joe's and Kroger. And you have to do everything yourself. And when you're in Texas, it's a lot more manageable because everything is in your face all the time about eating healthy. Anyway, Ari thinks uh, Columbus is fat. and uh, Well, I'm so fat and <laughs> that happened in Columbus. So maybe I'm the one to blame. But uh I'm way less fat now that I don't live in Columbus. And I think part of the reason is your influence. <laughs> part sure, of the reason yeah. is that I'm not laying alone uh, betting on uh, the Memphis game on Thursday night and ordering Domino's cheesy bread every other day. But, like, I just feel like it, it just was not as easy to diet in, in in Ohio as it is in Texas. Yeah, it's also easier when you're just not left to your own devices and you're living with somebody who is embraces the lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to it. When you live at University Village, you can swing through Raising Cane's and McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like if she found a McDonald's wrapper in my car, our relationship would be over. So, uh, you know, just living at Constant Fair is... Rapper! (laughs) Give me that that rapper. (laughs) All right. right. Sorry, man. That was a long... uh, I just offended... Thanks for the question, Brett. I I think Brett was genuinely concerned about our... our, our, So I appreciate the question. The answer is yes. Uh, Let's... I'm going to hop around here. Let's get a question from Alex G., which player do you believe will have the largest impact on the 2021 season, excluding quarterback, because that's obvious? Could be offensive defense, but curious as to whom each of you believe will have the largest impact on the team overall. You can go with a newcomer, underclassman, or even an older guy. Thayer Mumford and Sons. Mumford and Sons is good, right? Or Mun- it's, Mun- it's Munford. The band is Mumford, you, and he is Munford. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I have an answer that jumped into my head pretty pretty immediately. I did too, and I don't know if it's going to be real or not. So, do you want me to go first? Sure. Lathan Ransom. That's a good one. That's the first name that popped into my head. Ohio State needs a pure safety. Uh, the guy came in and, and ran with really good receivers really early on in his career. Uh, he was one of the um, freshmen that they needed and was a highly rated prospect and I thought he was productive when he was uh, he was productive ahead of schedule before he should have been um, yeah. and you know with the whole offseason off tape to work with running with Clemson's one receiver without getting beat like I think there's a lot of really positive things about his game and he's at a position of great need so I think as a, as a sophomore coming in next year I think he might crack the starting lineup yeah I think I think anyone on the back end of the defense would be a good pick because like the the pieces there, I think aren't totally clear yet. And I think Ransom's a good one because he's kind of versatile. Proctor's versatile. Court Williams is versatile. Some of these young corners, we don't know if they're going to play inside or outside. And like once those pieces start to settle out, then like the picture takes full form around those guys. So I think anybody on the back end is is a good pick. I went with uh, someone on the on the defensive line because I I do think if you're moving quarterback from this question as Alex did, I I do think the answer is like almost has to be on defense because we're expecting them to take a step forward there next year. My answer was Tyreek Smith, uh, who I thought played like the two best games of his career um, in the last two games that he played against Northwestern and against Clemson. Um, And I I pulled it up because I was curious on pro football focus. He had nine pressures against Northwestern. He had six pressures against Clemson. Like he was an animal. Jonathan Cooper was really good with him. Like both, both, both ends or starting ends or whatever you want to call them played really well. But I thought, what we saw of Tyreek Smith in his last two games was was sort of what we've been expecting from him his entire career. And and the reason we haven't seen it consistently is, is just because of health reasons and, and certainly that would factor in next year too. Like if but if he can play a fully healthy season, another year of development with Ari Johnson, like a real off season of development too, assuming they're gonna get a somewhat legitimate spring practice and, and, a, and a different summer than they had last year, I do think Tyreek Smith could be about to take a major step forward, and, and if he does, I, I think maybe he can be that menacing kind of pass rusher that it felt like Ohio State was missing from a con, on a consistent basis last year. I agree, uh, and health has always been a thing for him because he seems to be banged up in and out his entire career. If he can string together an entire 12 months without missing time and going through all that, like I think we all know that the potential is there. And when he flashes, man, he flashes. like Because his athleticism, he, really does, he just yeah. oozes with yeah. athleticism. Yeah, and I think you could say the same thing about Zach Harrison, but I thought I thought toward the end of the year we saw more from Tyreek Smith that maybe like the I don't know if like it's the light coming on or for just being healthy, but um, I, I think if I had to buy stock in anyone on the defense right now, I think he'd be my guy. 
and I think he'd be the guy for a lot of people. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up with uh, some hoops talk. Got a few minutes left here, and let's do it this way. Um, just a for anyone who hasn't been paying attention to Ohio State basketball, they're 18 and five. They're number four in the country. Uh, they are in the hunt for a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They're probably not going to win a Big Ten regular season title, but that's not totally out of the cards just yet. They have three games left. They just played an awesome game against Michigan, uh, and that's kind of where they are at the moment. But I know a lot of people don't really tune into Ohio State basketball until the season's over. So, Ari, I'm going to have you, as someone who doesn't follow Ohio State basketball all that closely, ask me whatever you want about the Ohio State basketball. I will, yeah. This is going to be fun because as I was watching the game on Sunday, I think a lot of people did. Let me just bluntly ask you, like, how freaking good is the team actually? Like, because I think that yeah. college basketball <laughs> rankings are stupid. And the yeah. reason why I have a hard time with college basketball is that none of the games matter. Because uh, you can make the tournament pretty easily with a mediocre season. And, like, a game like Michigan and Ohio State was an awesome game. But, like, the loser, it didn't matter. You know? And it's just like your tweet after the game was, that was fun. Let's do it again. It's like, if that happened in football, yeah. I'd be like, oh, my God, the program's on fire. Yeah. You know? And it's just like... A huge difference, the dichotomy of that difference is, is pretty insane. But, like, is this team a Final Four team in your mind? Like, could they make it to the Final Four? Like, do people get excited about this team? I think people are excited about this team. Um, the Final Four question is always tough for me because... It's all matchups. I, I, yeah. It's, yeah, right. It's, 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 it's just like I, don't, I can't really give you a great answer on that without knowing who they're going to have to play to get there. I do think they have that potential. If you were to ask me right now, like, do you think they're going to get there? I'd probably say no because I don't think they're quite good enough defensively to get there. But, like, as someone who, like, I like college basketball. I enjoy covering it. But it's really hard to watch sometimes. And this Ohio State team, I think, like, two years ago, this Ohio State team was really hard to watch until they got to the tournament and and started to turn things around toward the end of the year just because they were, like, anemic offensively. Like, if you're not scoring and you're not, like – moving the ball and it's not back and forth it's just really it's hard to watch like I totally get that um so this team is fun to watch because they are so good offensively they have multiple guys who can score in a variety of ways they're number three in the country in offensive efficiency I actually looked this up because I was curious yesterday like where they are right now in offensive efficiency uh, they're third this year but they would have been first like three of the last five years or something or three of the last six years or something like this is an elite offensive team the best offensive team Ohio State's had since like Jared Selwinter was here and he was getting doubled and kicking out to John Dealer for threes like this is it's built differently but they score at a really high clip a way that I wasn't anticipating so I think that can get them pretty far and depending on who they might encounter in the tournament possibly to the final four but they're just not a consistent enough defensive team for me to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to go there. C.J. Walker seems like a pretty nice point guard. Uh, E.J. Lydell is bangs in the inside the paint and scoring 16 points. They've got some sharpshooters out there. I mean, it seems like when you're talking about college basketball in general, like the best team, when I used to cover basketball, that I don't even remember what year it was now because it's like my brain is mush, but the, mm-hmm. the Diebler-Buford team that lost to Kentucky in the Sweet 16 didn't have a weakness. And it's just like if you were to attack this team – how would you attack them? On the defensive, like the, we saw it against Michigan. Right? Michigan is a seven foot two, seven foot one, I guess, center. Hunter Dickinson, freshman, who's twenty years old, um, and like their combination of positional size, a seven footer in the paint, just like Ohio State doesn't doesn't have the front line to contend with that. And their starting center is EJ Liddell, he's six seven. Their starting power forward is Kyle Young, he's six foot eight. And Hunter Dickinson's seven foot one. So, any team with a lot of size is going to give them problems. That's not anything new to, to anyone who's been cover or watching this team all along. I think we all anticipated that would be the case when we saw what the roster was going to look like coming into this year. Um, but part of what hit, hurt them against Michigan is that 
they gave so much attention to the seven foot center and then didn't do a good enough job of, of recovering after they did that and just kind of left shooters wide open and, and Michigan hit 10 three pointers in the first half. So Michigan played, I think like slightly above its head offensively against Ohio state. And, and I think Ohio state, what it did offensively was kind of more along the lines of what it's been all year. So I, I would feel like kind of okay coming out of that, but in terms of like guarding Ohio state, I think it's hard. Um, they don't have a super dynamic point guard. Like CJ Walker, I think is solid. Um, Dwayne Washington's not much of a playmaker, but he can really score the ball, and he's kind of he's locked in right now. He's he's playing the best offensively he's played in his his Ohio State career. But if you can really hound the 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 lead ball handler, whether that's C.J. Walker or Justice Suing, I think you can give Ohio State some problems. But the way they're structured and like having E.J. Liddell at six seven at center is a, a bit of a liability defensively, but I think it's more of a weapon offensively than it is a liability defensively because EJ just pulls whoever your big man is out of the paint because you have to guard them away from the rim, and then that opens everything up for everybody else. And they have good shooters. They got good cutters. So they, they, they're really balanced offensively. I think it can beat you in a lot of ways. Okay, here's an outside-the-box question. Um, when Ohio State basketball was Ohio State basketball at its peak under Thad, Mm-hmm. Ohio State football wasn't at its peak the same way right. it is now. I'm wondering, A, do you think that Ohio State football taking an even bigger step forward has changed the way people view basketball? And, like, is Chris Holtman secretly, like, as good as that? And I know we can't I know we can't do that because Thad went to the Final Four a few times. But, like, Holtman seems legit to me. Yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that he's on Thad's level because like 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 peak Thad was was um, like maybe the best program in the country among the best programs in the country two Final Fours um, what he got like four Sweet Sixteens he won five Big Ten titles yeah um so so no he's not there yet I think he has that potential and and he's he's certainly well thought of like outside of Columbus like in hardcore basketball circles like if if you asked most like national writers like list your top 10 coaches in college basketball, Chris Holman's going to be on that list. Um, so I do, I do think he's the right guy. I think he has the program like where he wants it to go. I don't know if it's ever going to look like what Thad's best teams look like. Like, I don't, I don't think there's ever going to be like an Odin Connolly kind of team here where you have three first round picks on the roster um, at the same time. And I don't know, I think maybe something more like what it was with Selinger where it's like Selinger's a stud and he's young, but there's older guys around him. And, and they get that kind of blend. I think, like, that's where Holman would like to be now. I don't know if he's going to get the McDonald's All-American center in his backyard anytime soon, but and he would like to have that. But I do think he can build his program in, in a similar way, yeah. Yeah, because it seems like they're just always constantly better than they should be. I think that's a good thing. Like I, 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 I think, yeah, I think, like, the what we were talking about earlier, like, maximizing, I, I do think that he has maximized what he's had in his first four years. Is he a good recruiter? Uh, I think that jury is still out a little bit. He's he's had misses for sure. Like he had the the, the class with DJ Carton, Alonzo Gaffney, and EJ Liddell. Two of those guys are gone. So it's like okay, it's like should you actually have invested time in recruiting Alonzo Gaffney? What did you not learn about DJ Carton that led to him leaving after his freshman year? And and I think he would he would agree with that too. They they need to continue to figure out I think how they want to recruit. Maybe they have a better idea of that right now. The the class they have coming in next year. Um, which Michi Johnson was a part of, and he reclassified, so he's on the team now. But they have Malachi Branham, who's a top 30 player in the state, who they recruited really hard, and they got him. That was a nice win for them. 
Um, their class behind that is currently ranked number one in the country, but that's just because they have a bunch of commits and, and nobody else really does. But that's like a little bit more of a national class, so I'm kind of curious how, how that plays out. I, I think they're still trying to figure that out a little bit. So yeah, I, I don't that. think I don't think they're bad recruiters. I don't. I, I think they are good recruiters. I just think they have to figure out exactly how they want to build this thing from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, the thing that's interesting to me is like what, and this might just be it. I'm not trying to go off the deep end here, but how is being a college basketball recruiter different than being a college football recruiter? And like, is a, what is Ohio State's recruiting plan in basketball? Is it like football, start in the Midwest and branch out? Is that like universal, or does like yeah. Ohio State actually recruit nationally in their basketball program too? It's been a mix. I, I mean, I think it should be. I think it should be just basically stay in the Midwest. Um, I don't think you have to go outside of that really, um, but they have gone outside of it. Um, they have a kid committed from Georgia in. Last year's class, they have another one committed from Georgia in, in two classes down the road. Um, they've gone, I think, a few other places outside of the footprint, too, to get guys. Like, I, I'm very much in favor of keeping the Midwest. Um, Ohio, like, fluctuates so much that it can't just be like, all right, we got it. we're going to have an Ohio class every year. I don't think you can live that way. But Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, maybe dip into Pennsylvania if you can. Um, maybe dip into Kentucky if you can, although probably not. Um I think you can build a really good program here. What's the really not much else than that? What What are the basketball hotbeds? The way that like L.A., uh, Texas, South Florida is in football is like Chicago. Like Chicago is Chicago yeah. like the mecca of high school basketball recruiting, and like is that Ohio State's footprint? Yeah, I think it is. Chicago's really good. St. Louis is really good. Um, like the entire state of Indiana. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that's where. I mean, and it's good in Ohio. Um, and I think that they're doing a pretty good job of, of getting in early on the guys in the state that they need to be in on. And uh, their class that's coming next year is an all-Ohio class. So um, I think they, they do their work the right way in the state. But, yeah, it's it's Ohio, it's Indiana, it's Illinois. Oh, no wonder that Missouri. Purdue and Indiana are always good at basketball. Uh, you know, it's like funny. Well, Indiana should, Indiana should be better than it is. No, no, I know. But, I mean, just yeah. like historically speaking, like if those are the states – like Illinois and like the Big Ten um, has been a very strong basketball conference. I know that there's like a, a national championship drought, but like between the Wisconsin's of the world, there's a lot of like really good basketball teams in the Big Ten. And I think the reason why it's probably a better basketball conference up up from top to bottom than it is uh, in football is because the the footprint of where the talent is is more in their favor. Like in football, it's all in the South and on the West, you know, and it's just like yeah. in basketball – it seems to me, I don't know if like Southern California is a hotbed for basketball talent the same way football is, but like it all seems to be in the Big Ten's footprint. I think that there's the, there's more basketball talent. I think maybe concentrated in here at least because in football, like there's a lot of I think like good line talent concentrated in here, but maybe not so much the skill. And that's where some of these teams um, in the Big Ten get lost in the shuffle. And I think basketball wise, there's a higher percentage and it's kind of spread out across the board position like because basketball is a different sport so i think i think i agree with that um and that's part of it like the big 10 is the best conference in college basketball and it like has been for maybe the last two or three years and this year specifically and it's weird because there's not been much in the way of non-conference play which i think is an important qualifier but if you look at ken pomeroy's ratings like this this i believe this year's big 10 conference is like the best conference since ken pom has been rating them since 2002 and Ohio State, while existing in that world, 
won what was it like 10 of 11 games is 12 and 5 in the Big 10 and like very much one of the better teams in the in the Big 10 right now. So Yeah. They're I think like they're they're legit. Their their closing schedule is interesting. They play Michigan State on Thursday night and Michigan State's starting to play a little better right now. And then they close two home games um, Sunday against Iowa, next Saturday against Illinois. Those are two top 10 teams. I think Ohio State has to win at least two of these next three. I think Ohio State wins, has to win two of the next three, and if they do, they'll be in pretty good shape to get a one seed in the NCAA tournament, depending on what happens in the Big Ten tournament. But even the fact that we're talking about them in those terms, it's like, oh, they're going to be a one seed or a two seed. It's like that's not really where anybody thought Ohio State was going to be this year, which I think is a testament to just how good of a, of a coaching staff Ohio State basketball has. Okay, two final things, and then we'll wrap up the basketball talk. Um, Let's do it. And I didn't do drugs today, but it might sound like I did. Nice. I don't see North Carolina or Duke anywhere on the top 25 because I know they both have been struggling. But the fact that both of those teams are out, I don't even see Kentucky in here. They suck too this year, apparently. Kansas yeah, it's a weird year. Kansas. I'm not going to pretend to know a ton about like the national landscape of college basketball because I really keep it to Ohio State and the Big Ten. But, uh, yeah, none of those teams are – I think they're playing better lately, some of these Blue Bloods. But it's like the theme of the year is being like the Blue Bloods are not in the picture. And, and yeah. the new the new Bloods are, are stepping up. It's like funny because you look at the top five and you've got Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, Gonzaga, and Baylor. It's like if Ohio State was ever going to sneak – uh, sneak a Final Four in there or a national championship, you know, not to get ahead of myself, and maybe this is the football and me talking, but it seems like to me like a window of opportunity for being really good is also a good time when Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas are all out of the top 20. Like, it seems yeah. to me like there might be yeah. a window here to do something. Do you think that's true? And also, Bama 7, do they have to go through Bama or what? Like, Yeah, Bam, Bama's in the, in the race for a one seed, too. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I think maybe they'll be, end up being a two, but they're, they're kind of in that conversation as well. Uh, I do think you're right. There does feel like there's a little window here, but it also feels like Ohio State could be a one seed and then beat whoever the 16 is, and then it has to play, like, number nine seed Duke in the second round. And it's like, what happened? It's like, oh, we had to play Duke. Yeah, it's like Duke still has guys, you know. It's just they're they're not all these teams. Well, I don't know if North Carolina does, but Duke has guys. Kansas has guys. Kentucky has guys. Um, and if, if you have to play one of those teams as like an eight or nine seed in the second round, that's like not the best thing in the world. So yeah, there is a there is a window, but that window could could close. Well, I know, but it's better than having like three lottery picks in the top starting five like Duke has sometimes. Yeah, yeah you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Like, there's no is there is there a team in college basketball this year that has three lottery picks in their starting five? Like, no. it doesn't seem like there is, and it seems like a team like Ohio State that's built well from top to bottom might actually have a chance with favorable matchups to do something special. For sure, yeah. And I, I think I think college basketball – I think there's a myth about college basketball that's like you got to have a bunch of NBA players and you got to be like have a one-and-done guy to win a title. Like, that's not really been the case in the history of the sport. Um, and it certainly hasn't been the case lately. I think more often, like, older teams win, and um, Ohio State is an older team for sure. And it's the oldest team Chris Holman's had. This is the kind of group that he's wanted. Man-to-man, maybe it's not the most star-studded team on, on the planet. But I think EJ Liddell is, is on his way to being that in the way Dwayne Washington's playing right now. Um, he's one of the better scorers in college basketball. So with those two guys leading the way, I do think that matchup dependent, they, they could end up doing something special here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the basketball breakdown. I hope you guys listened to it. I thought that was interesting. I... I will certainly be watching March Madness because I enjoy it, but I'm very curious to see what what some of these Big Ten teams can do. I mean, you have, what, four in the top 12? I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a really good league. I think it's been a fun league to watch, as it, as it typically is. So um, basketball team is, is rolling a little bit. Three big games left. Football team is 
starting spring practice sometime soon. Like it typically starts next week. I don't think we know for sure yet when that's happening, but spring practice is kind of around the corner. So we have a lot to talk about. We appreciate you guys sending in questions. Again, hit the new email we set up, 426AB at gmail.com. Just send stuff in whenever it pops into your head. We'll try to get to them on later shows and uh, get in touch with us that way. Hit us on Twitter with questions as well because, like I said, we want to open this up to, to some other people when we do these mailbag shows. So thanks again for the questions. Thank you for your patience uh, as we went a couple weeks without a show uh, due to some uh, some personal issues <laughs> at the house, and hopefully we don't encounter those uh, anytime again soon and we can get back into a regular rhythm with the podcast. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.